A believer in God's kingdom knows he's bankrupt of spirit. He moans about it. He then produces meekness, expresses hunger and thirst for righteousness, and by nature is merciful. Today's podcast is about those people who belong to God's kingdom by being merciful and they receive mercy. May you walk in the spiritual subsequently. Welcome back. What is the bottom line instruction about what it means to belong to God? What does it mean to be in his kingdom? What does it mean to be saved? Jesus put all the emphasis on the inside. Sadly, the Jews of his day had put all the emphasis on the outside. The religion that Jesus faced in his day was shallow, it was superficial and external. The Jewish leaders taught that God was pleased with the outside. Their apparent external self-righteousness, their formalized religion. They were proud about it. They were self-centered about it. Jesus dismantled it. Jesus put all the emphasis not just on action but attitude, not just on conduct but character. The emphasis is not on what I do but what I am. Certainly he is concerned about action but that action which springs from righteous character. As Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote many years ago, a Christian is someone before he does anything. It starts with who we are. To be a child of the king, to belong to God's kingdom, to be a Christian, to be a saved person is to possess a kind of nature, a certain kind of disposition, a kind of character that is defined in these Beatitudes. Again, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, quote, we are not meant to control our Christianity, but rather our Christianity is meant to control, control us, end quote. And it starts from the inside and works its way out. Jesus was not interested in external religion. He was not interested in formal religious ceremonies any more than God was. He was not interested in superficial works with wrong motives. He was interested in pure, transformed hearts. He characterized the Jews as sepulchers or graves, painted white on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones. People in God's kingdom recognize their bankruptcy of spirit. They recognize that they cannot do anything to please God. They are sinful, they are wicked, they are hopeless and helpless and they can't do anything about it. And they moan about that. And there is a sadness and sorrow about that. Consequently, there is a humiliation about it. There is a shame that comes with, with it that produces meekness. And then there is an expressed hunger and thirst for the righteousness they know they don't possess. It is also true, according to the fifth beatitude, that those people who belong to God's kingdom are by nature merciful. Verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
in some ways, the first four Beatitudes sort of connect up to the next four. Let's explore some, par explore some parallels. Those who are poor in spirit acknowledge their need of mercy and are willing to show mercy to others. Those who mourn over their sin desire to wash their hearts clean with tears of penitence and they become the pure in heart. The meek or the gentle are those who spontaneously make peace because their own agenda is not the issue. They are concerned about others. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are willing, if you look at verse 10 and 11, to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Looking at this fifth beatitude in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's talk about the significance of being merciful. What does it really mean to be merciful? This is a significant human virtue, admittedly. It's wonderful to meet a merciful person. The Talmud, which is a codification of Jewish law, recalls this saying by Gamaliel, who was no less the notable teacher referred to in the book of Acts, a great Jewish teacher. And Gamaliel said about mercy, whenever thou hast mercy, God shall have mercy upon thee. And if thou hast not mercy, neither will God have mercy upon thee. Again, he is extolling the virtue of mercy as a path to blessing. Now, it is easy then to see the virtues of this sort of human attribute of mercy as some path to immediate blessing. That is to say, some people see this virtue of showing mercy as a way to force God's hand to make us prosperous. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. The issue is far more than a human platitude. It's far more than a little formula that somehow works its way out in life. It would be nice to think of that of the fact that this is a great truth of life, but the fact of the matter is it's not. And the fact of the matter is you may find yourself on the human level being merciful to people who are in return merciless to you. In fact, it was the Romans who didn't admire, admire mercy at all. The Romans admired justice. They admired revenge, vengeance. They admired discipline, power, and strength. They thought, they thought mercy was evidence of weakness. In fact, some philosophers at the time of the writing of the New Testament said that mercy is a disease of the soul. It's evidence of a sick person. And any successful person would be ashamed to be called merciful. It was a sign of weakness. Frankly, that's not unlike our time, is it? Being merciful, being forgiven, kind, gentle with people, overlooking their transgressions, showing them great and magnanimous kindness, no matter what they might have done to you, is a sign of weakness today. The best illustration of a merciful person was Jesus. Was there ever anyone more merciful than him? He showed mercy to the sick. He showed mercy to the crippled, the blind, the deaf, the dumb. Mercy to the poor. Mercy to the outcast, the prostitutes, riffraffs, the sorrowing, the lonely, the unloved. Once he stopped a funeral procession and he didn't even know the people personally. 
but he stopped that procession to touch the casket and restore a young man back to life because he was so grieved at the sorrow of his widowed mother. He was merciful in John 8 to a harlot and said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He ate with tax collectors and sinners, a definite sign of his mercy towards the outcast. Mark 2.16 says, When the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? From start to finish, one would have to say that Jesus' life was a life of mercy. If somehow there was some kind of principle that mercy carries its own reward, it never worked out for him. In fact, the most merciful person who ever walked the earth received from men no mercy at all from the very ones to whom he showed mercy. Two merciless systems, the Roman system and the apostate Judaism, mercilessly came together to kill the merciful Son of God. Merciless Rome was characterized by intolerance and joining them was the merciless Pharisaic external Jewish apostate religious system that couldn't tolerate him because he spoke the truth. And without mercy, they came together to execute him. What then is the Lord saying here? He's not giving us just some principle of human life that sort of always works. What is he saying? What is the significance of this? We have to look a lot higher than the human level to see the answer. This mercy does not refer to some natural human emotion. It doesn't refer to some sort of earthly operative principle. It refers to a mercy which grows out of relationship with God. We are talking about something that's not human at all. It's divine. We are moving out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the kingdom of men, out of the kingdom of this world, into the kingdom of God. We are talking about a kind of mercy that's operative in God's kingdom, not in man's kingdom. Let's look at the word itself, the word merciful. It's a very common word in the Greek. It means to have mercy on. It means to care for the afflicted. It means to help, to give help to the wretched. It means to rescue the miserable. Very broad idea. But the intent of the word is pretty clear from those various options. It has to do with sympathy. It has to do with compassion. And here we are talking about something that is divine. It is a genuine, true and pure divine compassion with unselfish motives that reaches out to help someone who is wretched, miserable, needy and poor. The Old Testament writers in most translations intended to say what I think the English word loving kindness expresses. Loving kindness embraces embraces a motive and an action. It does not mean simply to feel sympathetic. It does not mean simply to feel compassionate. It refers to the ability to literally get inside someone else's skin until you think their thoughts, feel their emotions, 
understand their pain. It is more than a passing wave of pity. It is an empathizing. It is a deliberate act of feeling their suffering and seeking to relieve it. Perhaps one way to get at it is to see it in comparison with other words. It is linked to the word forgiveness. Titus 3.5 says, According to his mercy, he saved us. So mercy was behind forgiveness. Forgiveness is the fruit of mercy. When God looked at us with compassion and affection and sympathy, when God, as it were, got in our skin, Jesus incarnate came into the world and suffered all the things that we suffer, yet did not sin, was tempted in all the ways that we are. There was a great sympathizing and he became for us a sympathetic and merciful savior. Sometimes we think of mercy as God withholding judgment, and it is. But the reason he withholds judgment in mercy is because he has forgiven our sin. Lamentations 3.22, the Lord's loving kindness, all mercies indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. And where there is compassion, there is mercy. There are new, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Verse 32 says, He will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness, and his compassion is expressed in his forgiveness and much more. All the gifts of grace, all the gifts that God gives us, all the good gifts are expressions of his compassion and sympathy and mercy. Mercy is also, secondly, linked to love. Ephesians 2.4, according to his great love, wherewith he loved us, he was therefore merciful. So mercy flows into forgiveness, but out of love. It starts with love, becomes mercy, becomes forgiveness. Love is more broad, more extensive than just mercy. And there, and then, there is mercy and grace. Grace is another word that plays into this discussion. Mercy looks at the misery sin produces. Grace, grace looks at the sin itself. God gives grace for our sin and mercy for our misery as a result of sin. Grace is charis. Grace offers pardon for the crime. Mercy orders, offers relief for the punishment or from the punishment. Grace comes first and renders us no longer guilty. Mercy comes second and delivers us from the punishment. Again, mercy and grace are different. They are different concepts, but inseparable. Mercy eliminates pain. Grace grants a better condition. And then there is mercy and justice. They go together. They have to. As far as God is concerned, it, he cannot be merciful if in some way it violates his justice. Mercy, when it comes from God, 
is a holy attitude like all his other attributes. He, it doesn't negate his justice or his holiness. It is not some shallow sentimentality which disregards iniquity and ignores justice. That's a false and unholy mercy which wants to conceal justice. But God, in order to be merciful and show mercy, had to express his justice, as we all know, and he poured out his justice on Christ on the cross, satisfying the requirement of a just and holy God and a just and holy law which had been violated in order that he might be merciful to the miserable sinners who had fallen under judgment for the violation of that law. So mercy fits together with forgiveness, though it is different. It fits together with grace, though it's different. It fits together with love, though it's different. It fits together with justice perfectly, though it is also distinct. The truth of the matter is, if we got what we deserved, we would get judgment without mercy. That's what we would get. We would get judgment without mercy and we would deserve it. In fact, in James 2.13, it says, judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you're a merciful person, you won't be judged. That's another way of James saying, if you're a merciful person, because God has had mercy, mercy has been merciful to you, in other words, if you have divine mercy granted to you as a child of God, you demonstrate that you are one who has escaped judgment. But justice has been satisfied. Punishment has been made in Christ. We could say that mercy is more than forgiveness, less than love, different than grace, and not apart from justice. To sum up our discussion of the significance of mercy, we'll define it in some many practical, in some very practical terms. The merciful not only bear the insults of evil men, but their hearts reach out to those very evil men in their misery because they know they will perish in their sins. It's much like the parable in Matthew 18, where the man who was a king called his governors to him and one man had embezzled all his money and had nothing to show. And the king says he's going to be punished. And the man falls on his face and pleads. And the king is merciful and forgives him his entire debt. That's a beautiful picture of mercy. But the man who had just been forgiven went out and found somebody who owed him a pittance, strangled him, threw him in a debtor's prison until he paid everything and himself refused to be merciful. And the parable ends with the Lord calling in that unmerciful man and chastening him until he learned to be merciful. The Lord will chasten you who have received mercy if you do not grant mercy. It was mercy, wasn't it, in Abraham after he had been wronged by his nephew Lot. It was mercy which caused Abraham to treat Lot the way he treated him. 
it was mercy on the part of Joseph after being treated so badly by his brothers. It was mercy on the part of Joseph to make sure his brother's food was all provided. He forgave them and fully met their need. It was mercy in Moses after Marian had rebelled against him and the Lord had given her leprosy. And Moses went to the Lord, seeing the misery of Miriam, and said, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. That's mercy. It was mercy in David, which caused him to spare the life of Saul. That's mercy. And in a world of merciless people, who are all consumed with self-protection, making sure everything is the way they want it for them, God has deposited kingdom citizens who are truly merciful and compassionate. Man, frankly, without mercy is evil. He's evil. Man without mercy is hostile. Man without mercy is angry. And we are seeing it in full view today. The absence of mercy just rips and shreds and tears all of the tenderness out of a person. It creates nothing but hard surfaces and sharp edges. But for those of us who have come to God in Christ to receive mercy, we have been called to show mercy, to be compassionate, benevolent, sympathetic when we see others in weakness, misery and need. Now, let's talk about the source of being merciful. The source basically is God, because you see, when we come to this fifth beatitude in verse seven, we had to go through the first four. The people who are merciful are those who have realized their spiritual bankruptcy, mourned over their sin, meekly come before God, knowing they offer nothing, and demonstrated a hunger and thirst for righteousness. They know they don't possess, and God and only God can grant. In other words, that is the pattern of salvation throughout all of redemptive history. All these examples were from the Old Testament. Christ hadn't yet died. Christ hadn't yet risen. They couldn't confess Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God had raised him from the dead and thus be saved. As Romans tells us, so how could they be saved? The answer was right in the very path of those Beatitudes. When they came to the place where they said, I can't keep your law, all I do is violate your law. I am bankrupt. I am unworthy. I am shamed. I am humiliated. Oh God, if I am to possess the righteousness you have to give it to me. That was like the Luke 18 publican beating on his breast. The Pharisee is saying, oh, I keep this and I do this and I abide by the ceremonies. I tithe all that I possess and I'm not like other men even like this publican. The publican has got his head down. He's beating on his breast. He, he, he won't even look up and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's crying for mercy. That man was bankrupt. That man was mourning. That man was meek. That man was hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That man reached out and received mercy. The source of the mercy is God. 
This is so important to understand salvation. A lot of people say, yeah, I want Jesus to fix my life. Raise my hand or sign a card or come forward in a meeting or call up a TV station. Yeah, I want Jesus to fix my marriage. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I'd like my life to be different than it is. And I'd like Jesus to fix my life. And they are never converted genuinely because the path is indicated here. You have to come to the place of moral bankruptcy. Realize the shame of your own life and hunger and thirst for a righteousness that's not yours. And cry out for mercy from God. It's a sin issue. A lot of people want the end blessing, bypassing the real hard work. Thirdly, the substance of being merciful. Now we know that we have received mercy, but what is it about being merciful? I believe that this springs out of the mercy of God towards us. We don't need to say a lot about that. God has demonstrated mercy to us. And we have a clear and marvelous transforming understanding of mercy. And we have been called to the same mercy. We who have received mercy have been called to give it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There's kind of a cycle here. You receive mercy when you cry out, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You then become the givers of mercy, who from God receive more mercy. By the way, when you became a Christian, you didn't move into the category from the undeserving to the deserving. You are still undeserving, and so am I. The fact of the matter is, we are as sinful now and unworthy and undeserving now as we ever were, so that every good and perfect gift the Father gives us is a gift of mercy. There's a circle here again. You cry out for mercy, God gives it. He transforms your heart, you become merciful, you give it, and he pours out more mercy. I would say to you, a true child of the king is going to have to empty himself of selfishness before he will empty his hands of arms. He's going to have to lay himself in the dust first before he'll raise the needy out of it. I mean, it just seems so very basic. God has been merciful to us. We have then become the merciful. It is the severest kind of twists on your salvation to receive all of God's mercy and then be merci merciless. Lack compassion to those who are sinful or wretched, or poor and needy, suffering, even those who persecute us. This is so substantial, so essential, that I read, that I read you earlier in James, where it says, if you are not going to be merciful, God won't be merciful to you. James 2, 10 to 13. You want to put yourself in a position to be disciplined, like that man, who was forgiven in the parable in Matthew 18, then hold back mercy from people and God will bring discipline on you. 
what an unbelievable twist to receive all of that mercy new every morning and grant none to someone around you jesus said in the next chapter when he was talking about prayer chapter 6 and verse 14 if you forgive men their transgressions your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you don't if you do not forgive men then your father will not forgive your transgression you want a miserable life be unforgiving that'll make you miserable not forgiving produces bitterness and steals your own joy the essence of mercy means there is no retaliation there is no vengeance there is no holding the grudge it is impossible that merciless people may prove profess to be kingdom citizens but in reality are not vindictive self-righteous defensive self-protective people who lack sympathy and compassion forgiveness they are like the priests and the levites who hurried on to remember who hurried on on the jericho road they hurried on past the beaten man we need to show mercy first of all and foremost beloved we need to show mercy to the soul of sinners by giving the gospel to them that's the most merciful thing you can do we need to show mercy to people by prodding them towards righteousness we need to show mercy to people by helping meet their needs we need to show mercy to people by praying for them we need to show mercy to people by pardoning them we need to show mercy by prodding them to mercy if they are disobedient. We need to show mercy by prayer. Thank you. Father, we do acknowledge with gratitude from the heart your mercy in Christ. They are new every morning. We praise you for your continued mercy. Your compassions never fail. Great is your faithfulness. Make us ever to be the merciful who have received mercy, that we might receive even greater mercies, that we might praise you all the more. Thank you for this great, great truth. In Christ's name, Amen. Join me next Saturday for the next Beatitude, Blessed are the pure in heart.